Man, what a great story. Uh, Brian was baptized at our 930 service, and uh, I don't know if he shared this on the video or not, but one of the things that he wanted to do was wait to be baptized uh, in front of his kids uh, on Father's Day to set that example, uh, and I thought that was really cool. And the reason why we do baptism videos is because we know that God's on the move uh, when we're in this room and when we're not. And so if there's a baptism that happens in the service that you're not at, we still want you to to uh, hear that story. And we, we post these videos on social media as maybe a way to encourage somebody that's still thinking about it. Uh, my name is Ben Seaman, and I get to be the lead minister here at RCC. And a few weeks ago, we started a brand new teaching series called The Way. And we created these little booklets for you to pick up. They're 10 bucks, a suggested donation at our connection point. Uh, and they kind of go through what we're talking about in the series. Uh, you don't have to buy them, uh, nor if this is your first Sunday as well, you don't have to freak out and say, well, I missed it. No, this is for you to go through over the summer when you find yourself on vacation, in the break room, uh, in the bathroom, hiding from your kids, you know, wherever you do your devotionals, okay, what, whatever. Uh, we just want to give it to you as an opportunity to follow along uh, with us, and you can pick those up uh, at the connection point on your way out today. Uh, today we're going to talk about, um, well, I've been setting this up since week one, and when we kicked off this teaching series, I talked about how the way is really going to be a journey, and the way was descriptive of people in the first century before they were called Christians to describe people who actually followed Jesus before the language of Christian and Christianity was developed throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, week one, we talked about how important it is to know and believe in and trust your trail guide, right? Because there's nothing worse to save up your money, pack the kids in the car, throw them on a plane, uh, or seat them in a plane, I guess, and you get to your destination, and there's this big excursion day. It's supposed to be the highlight of your vacation, and you get there, and you're in the room with a bunch of other strangers. You're either you're going to jump out of a plane, go on a safari, maybe go spelunking, go hike some caves, and it dawns on you that this guy or this girl that's supposed to lead you has no idea what they're talking about, right? It does make the journey less desirable, right? Sure it does. Uh, and so we talked about in week one the kind of person, as Mark described, so we're kind of going through the gospel of Mark, that if this was the only book of the Bible, how does Mark describe the life of Jesus? And, and what, is, what is important to Jesus, and, and might that be important to us? And so in Mark 1, we talked about Jesus, he thinks he's a king. He thinks he's a king of the kingdom of God. He calls us to repent and to believe and to be baptized and all of these things, right? He's kind of given a speech. All right, before we go on this journey, here's kind of what I'm about. Uh, I set that up because I knew today was coming. Uh, because today we're going to talk about the way of the enemy. And we're going to specifically talk about Satan and demons. Uh, and yes, I know it's Father's Day. I would never do this on Mother's Day. Uh, but hey, when you're preaching through books of the Bible you bring up what the text brings up, and I'm not going to be a pastor, and we're not going to be a church that kind of avoids difficult subjects or ideas, and I know I run the risk that you think I'm crazier than what I already am by talking about the spiritual world. I'm okay with that, but I want you to know my heart. I, I view myself when I preach as more of a, a chef, uh, preferably Chef Ramsey without the profanity, although that makes watching him more interesting. Uh, but I, I'm a chef that, that the sermon's going to cook up something, and you can decide where you want to eat, where you want to start. And if you've got questions, man, grab me after service, email me, let's set up some coffee. I, I want to talk about this, because it was important to Jesus. Jesus didn't think it was crazy to talk about this subject. 
So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 121. If not, you can uh, use your Bible app, Google it, or it'll be on the screen. In Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28, Mark tells this story. The disciples and Jesus, they went to Capernaum. Okay, Capernaum is occupied by the Roman military, and that was one of the towns where you would go to pay your taxes. And the reason, one of the reasons why Mark uh, talks about that geography matters in his gospel, at least at this point, is because there's kind of a little target on Jesus' back. Uh, politicians don't like language that um, when they think that you're going to overthrow them, even in the first century. And so uh, the reason why Mark mentions Capernaum is because he wants you to know that what is about to happen is going to enlarge that target on Jesus' back. And it's probably going to make the Romans question their military and political careers. So Jesus went on the Sabbath, which is not uncommon for a Jewish man at all to roll into a town. And the first thing they do is find a synagogue, which would be great of Americans today. When you move, the first thing you do is look for a church to belong to. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teachings, right? You guys tell me your sermons are the best I hear every week. Maybe that's in my head. Because he taught them as one who had authority. Now that's interesting, we'll get to that later. Not as teachers of the law. So Mark is throwing shade at the Pharisees, the Bible college professors. What Jesus said was different. It connected with people and moved people in a different way. Verse 23, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cries out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Notice that this evil spirit, impure spirit, is talking in uh, the plural, not in the singular. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So this is, you're all in a church service. Jesus was in a synagogue service because he grew up Jewish, and somebody walks through those doors possessed by Satan. Now, I will tell you we have an amazing security team, and the fact that you don't know who that is means they're doing their job, okay? Just letting you know that. Um, and then verse 25, Jesus says, be quiet. Actually, he screams it very violently in the middle of a church service. Uh, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently, came out of him with a shriek. It was not a pleasant experience. Verse 27, the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, right? At Christians, we call it um, uh, prayer time, but it's kind of gossip. What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he then gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, one of the main points I want to take from this before we really do kind of an overview of Satan and demons in the Old Testament is that Jesus never teaches as one with authority. See, you can go to college, you can go to grad school, you can get your doctorate, your PhD, your demon your PhD, all that. You can do all of that, and you can be an expert in that field, and people will pay you a lot of money to write books and to teach, and uh, maybe sometimes a lot of money to teach, just depends where, uh, and, and you will be respected. But the way Mark describes Jesus' authority is that Jesus doesn't have authority as he's an expert in on a subject matter. No, no, no. In the Greek, the word authority is exosia, where we get the English word authority, but also the word exit. And so, not to sound too weird, but this room is possessive of you because you're, you're in it. But after the service, you're going to exosia, you're going to exit out of the room. So out of this room comes all of you. 
And so what Mark is saying is that Jesus doesn't speak with authority. Jesus speaks out of authority. That in his bones is authority. When he speaks, it comes out of him. Jesus, if you're God, Jesus doesn't give opinions. Uh, Jesus gives authoritative statements. And that's why the demons were so nervous. Did you hear them? Did you hear, what are you going to do with us, Jesus, the Holy One of God? Isn't it crazy that some people in our culture today have a lower view of Jesus than demons? Jesus, or Jesus, wow, that'd be weird. Demons have no problem saying that Jesus is God and being okay with the, with the, uh, the pushback on social media. That's so narrow-minded. Oh. Yet demons are cool with that because they know who Jesus actually is. And so with that, we're going to talk about how Scripture lays out Satan and demons uh, with the 20 minutes that I have left. Uh, I'm going to do a Facebook Live video from our Rockingham Christian Church account on Facebook. So if you don't know what a Facebook Live video is, just follow it, and it'll pop up in your newsfeed. Uh, on Tuesday night at 7 p.m., uh, live from my house on Dunbar Terrace, uh, I will do a follow-up of the sermon. So if you have questions or you want to say something or call me out on social media, you can do that there, okay? Uh, here's the deal. There is more content than the time I'm allowed to have. I, I could talk about this for months, and we're just scratching the surface. And so I'll be on Facebook Live Tuesday at 7, uh, and if you have any questions or, or follow-up, actually, let's do, um, let me change that. Let's do uh, 6 o'clock, and if you can't be there live, then you can watch it on our feed later, uh, because this is important uh, to us as believers. So in Ephesians 6, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So Paul automatically comes out and says, The way of the enemy is an all-out war. Uh, and if you want to be too educated or too passive about it, Satan, they're, they're cool with that. They're okay. You see, in Ephesians 6, Paul says, our struggle is against an enemy that we can't see. And Americans in the Western culture, we don't like things that we can't prove. We don't like things that we can't um, have a proof of concept before we buy into it, to use a business term. And yet, this reality means the same. Actually, struggle in Ephesians 6 literally means the image is hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, one of my favorite docu uh, documentarians and documentaries is uh, The Vietnam War by Ken Burns. And so I, I immediately went to that place. And the picture I wanted to paint for you is, is two men shooting at each other and realizing that they both shot their last bullet, knowing that they don't have a knife, they don't have you know, anything they could pick up to, to kill their enemy. So the enemy starts charging at you. And you realize he's coming for you. So you're in your bunker or you're up a hill or down a hill and you brace yourself for when the enemy comes at you. And so when the enemy comes at you and you meet, you lock arms, you're digging your nails into his shoulders. He is digging your nails, uh, his nails into your shoulders. And you have this picture of an, of an MMA fight right in front of you. That's the struggle that Paul's talking about. It is an all-out war to literally make your life a living hell, to seek, to kill, and destroy you. It's not like, eh, it's a struggle, right? Like uh, get, uh, re wanting to go to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and remembering they're closed, that's a eh, struggle, right? <laughs> what, what Paul, I know, 
what Paul uh, is talking about is you are actually in the fight for your life, whether you want to realize it or not. So today we have to decide if we're going to acknowledge the spiritual world and what team we want to fight on. And not deciding actually is deciding. And in Jesus' personality, as you read the Gospels, you'll find that he's both a perceiver and a judger. You'll find that he's okay with moments of gray and not answering questions or giving elusive answers. And then you'll find out, I think in texts like this, he's more like a judger. He's more black and white. You're either on team Jesus or on team Satan and demons, right? Which even as I say that in 2019, like I can sense that like some of you are maybe just my insecurity projecting on you. Like who would actually believe in that? Well, let me, let me just say this. If, if you believe that Jesus was telling the truth about the resurrection, that Jesus can go against and beat science and rise again from the dead, then might not this topic actually be possible? And so let's explore three questions together. Who is our enemy? How does he organize? And how does God actually triumph over the enemy? So question one, who is our enemy? Well, what word do you want to associate with enemy? Uh, in the Bible, there's this evil, hairy beast, uh, evil, hairy goat, to be more uh, Hebrew about it, that he's given multiple names, and with multiple names, serve as their function. Uh, it was very important in the first century and in the Old Testament that the name of your child usually meant its function, like what they would hopefully aspire to do. And so I just want to go over five names of um, this devil-like creature. There's more we could do, uh, but we only have a certain amount of time. And thank God for Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook Live, right? Number one, he's called Satan. Satan's described as the prince of demons. You have to understand that uh, angels were created by God. All right. And so there were angels in heaven that rebelled against God and they wanted to do their own thing because uh, we as a church believe in uh, free will. They decided they want to do their own thing and go their own way. So God separated them and put them in hell, M much like Adam and Eve. Right. Much like, like why would why would God be so mean and kick out angels like loose? Why would he do that? Well, in the same way, it's true of Adam and Eve in a perfect world. Two things are true. You need community. And you have a choice with who you want to do community with. It's your decision. Satan in Hebrew means adversary or opposer. So Satan's purpose is he, he's a defensive lineman, all right, for the patriots, okay? And his goal is to block you from moving forward. And the question you need to ask is what is currently interfering with your relationship with Jesus? Is it your schedule? Do you really need to be, do we really need to be as busy as we are? Uh, are we finding time to spend in God's word? Uh, are, hmm, are you a Christian? Like, like, are you actually a Christian? Or do you think going to church makes you a Christian? Um, because here's the deal. <laughs> and, and, and by Christian, I mean, have you come to the mental decision that Jesus is God have you come to the willful decision that you want to make him the Lord of your life? And have you come to the behavioral decision that you want to express that in baptism? If you have not done that, you are dead in the water. I mean, Satan is going to have a field day with you. Even if you're comfortable and you make a good living and things are going well, that's probably part of his attack as well. 
And I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm just here to, hopefully, as best I can, to tell the truth. If you are not a Christian this morning, right? And I'm, uh, as described by Jesus, not by religion, not by denominations, not by things that you've read online, your childhood experience. Do you believe that Jesus is God who died for your sins, rose again three days later, and offers you eternal life? If you are not a Jesus follower, my friend, you are dead in the water. You're dead. You're an easy target. I mean, Satan might destroy some other people, and then he might get back to you. That's how easy you are. I also want to ask yourself, what sin in your life is interfering or blocking your relationship with Jesus? What is it? I mean, many of you know my story, so I won't get into that, but there are some hidden secrets in my family that eventually erupted into divorce. My dad played drums for a church of 1800. My mom did the Sunday school thing. My brothers and I, were, we were in youth group, youth ministry. Uh, because of my youth pastor, I'm in ministry. And uh, before I got up to preach, all my brothers are in ministry. All, all of our wives were taking photos of us while we were on stage in the first service making fun of us, um, <laughs> which is kind of fun in a ministry family. But do you have sin blocking you? Like, I'm not asking you, like, are you doing bad things? I'm asking you, do you actually think that you're sinful? which is a hard thing to kind of come in terms with. But, but if you don't, again, my friends, you're, you're, sitting, you're a sitting duck. Secondly, this evil thing's called a devil. Uh, this is the easiest term for me to describe. The devil in Greek is diabolos, which means to accuse or to slander, which is to say that the devil likes to play the district attorney role against you, and he likes to go bowling afterwards. And I've talked about this before. The, the, D, uh, the DA likes to bring all of the charges against you, and you know you're guilty. Like, the devil, the devil yeah, that's the word. The devil's got uh, uh, DNA, blood samples, uh, a confession, eyewitnesses. He's got motive. You know you're dead in the water. And the other reason why uh, the devil likes to go bowling is because he is a bowling ball. The purpose of a bowling ball is to what? Split pins, to, to, to bring tension in your relationships, right? That's why, like, divorces, sometimes they're slow fades. You wake up one morning and you realize that's not my lover, that's just a roommate. It's a slow fade of multiple things and multiple purposes and multiple reasons. And counseling is good. You should go to counseling. I'm a fan of it. But sometimes... We stop at counseling, and we don't ask ourselves, what is the devil's involvement in our marriage? How have we drifted apart from each other? And so the question you need to ask is, what relationships are split? What thoughts are splitting your mind and your spirit? How is your mental health? How, is, how often does negative self-talk actually cross your mind? Yes, counseling is good. Yes, medication is great. But there's also an element that Jesus teaches us through the scripture that the Lord or the devil loves playing the B-side record to our brains and telling us how terrible, how horrible, how fat, how ugly, how ridiculous, how uninvolved. You know your uh, CD or record in your head so you can finish that in your own mind. But the goal of the devil is to actually split us, to put us at odds that we would value autonomy over community, that we would say Christians don't need a church to be a Christian, which I don't know if that's true. I don't know how you obey two-thirds of the New Testament, all the one and other passages. Number three, I don't know how to pronounce this, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. The name is Beelzel, maybe like 
Beelzebub or Baal, B-E-E-L-Z-E-U. It means Lord of the Filth, Lord of the Dunghill, Lord of the Flies. It's sort of this idea of like when you watch, um, oh, what's that show, Hoarders? And uh, I can't, it's, it's tough for me to watch that. And, and just when I do watch it, you can smell the stench dance across your nose, right? And that's sort of how, how uh, the, this, I don't know the name, so I'm not going to say it. I'm trying to sound smart. But that, that's, that's the purpose of Satan and demons. They want your inward spiritual life to look like <coughs> a show that would be on hoarders. To, be, to, to reek, to smell like filth, and to, st- and to, and to have no purpose. And, and that's, that's one of the things that, uh, in my life, my short 36, 7 years uh, on the planet, is that men really struggle to find purpose. And they, they, they feel weightless. And the Bible says men are the glory of God. And glory in the, in the scriptures mean weight, weighty. There, there's a weightiness to men. There's a, there's a purpose that God has given us. And, and when we don't have that purpose, when we don't have a mission to fight, and, and, and you know, like a, a wife to love and, 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 and a church to serve at, we can sometimes go, like, what is, like, what is actually my purpose? And so the question begs, what is the mess right now in your life and what feels like filth? Like when you think about that, you're like, I wish I could just take a shower and wash away this, this stench, this guilt, this shame, the anxiety. Fourthly, this evil beast is called a serpent. He's sly, cunning, and wise. Jesus actually says, Matthew 10, 16, we should actually be like him, which is kind of weird. Hang in there, don't leave. I am sending you out like a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as a snake, which is what the writer of Genesis, Moses, describes the devil as. He's a snake, right? Be Be as shrewd as the devil, and then you'll be able to pay attention when the attacks come. And be as innocent as a dove. One of the things that the serpent loves is white-collar communities like this, where people make a lot of money. You need almost six figures to live in this area. People love when you get bachelors, masters, and PhDs, because in white-collar communities, it's so easy to trust in your education that you really don't need a pastor to tell you that, like, hell, Satan, demons actually exist. Like, that's kind of childish, right? But, you know, Salem Mass, Halloween night, let's go have fun. But when we're talking about the Bible, like that, uh, it's a little, yeah, Satan loves highly educated people. Because it's easy to hide behind, isn't it? We can explain it away. And after all, our parents put us through school maybe, or we got that degree, and we're a doctor, and we're, 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 a, we're an expert in a field. So why, you know, why would people that loved us lie to us? Why, why would... Why, why, would, um, why would we study medicine and never consider a spiritual element? Like, I went to seminary with a friend who was from Kenya, and he said if you were sick in Kenya, you would go to the doctor, obviously. Then after the fourth or fifth visit without a cure, the doctor would actually invite that person to go to the local pastor for fear that they might be demon-oppressed. You lose your license here if you do that, right? Because education is a great way to hide. It's a great way to not submit. It's hard for people that are incredibly intelligent to say, you know what, I might, I might have missed this. I might have been wrong about this. And so the question uh, we need to ask is, um, I don't know if I have one, so I'm just going to make it up, is how, how am I allowing my information of God not transform my heart, right? 
because Pharisees, to steal a, a, a line from my preaching professor, Pharisees are like bad film. Religious people are like bad film. They're overexposed to God's word, yet they're underdeveloped by it. And we can hide behind our education, can't we? The last name before we move on, which I didn't even know existed until a few years ago, uh, B-E-L-I-A-L, Baleo, Baal, maybe. Uh, it, it means worthlessness. In 2 Corinthians 6.15, Paul says, What harmony is there between Christ and worthlessness? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? In other words, why would Jesus, if worthlessness could be personified as a person, why would Jesus have a relationship with things that are worthless? Like, why would Jesus would have, would have a relationship with things that don't add value? And I kind of jumped ahead of the curve, but this is where I should have talked about men are the glory of God. And we struggle with feeling uh, worthless, right? Don't we, men? And don't we, ladies? So the question is, what makes us, or what makes you feel worthless? Now, this is part of my story, but through my childhood and my upbringing, this would probably be the word that I felt about myself for many years and still, still battle with today that it never came across my mind until two years ago that feeling worthless was the name of a demon. Hello? Anybody awake yet? Yes, I'm trying to go to the bathroom. Yes, yes, yes. I'm pro-mental health, pro-counseling, pro-working out, eating right, taking your, your vitamins, taking pills to help with mental health if need be. But don't explain it away. There is a work going on behind the scenes, and I'm not the YouTube pastor that blames everything on the devil, but I am trying to teach the Bible. And there is a real sense that our culture, who is so depressed right now, Mark Zuckerberg thought it would bring us together, it's actually statistically pulling us away and isolating ourselves, that with our mental health just plummeting, this name of the evil one is probably more relevant than it ever has been in our culture's history, at least since I've been born, and I know that's an arrogant statement because we've been around longer than 37 years, but right now, I mean, a dick, I, mean I, I went to a thing at Salem High School, and the teachers were like, how do I get my students off of their phones to pay attention? Like, how do I get parents to stop like, letting their kids sleep with their phones at night? Their anxiety is through the roof. They're tired. They, they, their grades are dropping. And I'm not saying iPhones are bad. They're neutral. That's not it's things we project on them. But what I'm saying is our culture, if I had to be a prophet for a second, does feel worthless and is not coming to church to be fulfilled. That's just, statistically, that's just true. So secondly, let's ask the question, well, how does the enemy organize? Is this like a middle school overnighter, or is this like a, uh, a political regime, a military regime that's intentional? Option B. See, you have to understand that demons were angels, or are angels, who have sinned. And Satan consider, was considered to be the pr prince of the demons. So Satan is head demon, right? CEO in charge. Uh, and then demons rebel against God's rule and reign. So you've got a CEO, and then you've got millions of demons under Satan's jurisdiction, okay? So when people say, Satan's been attacking me, I'm going to do a pump fake here and Jesus juke you, probably not, right? Like, like you, most of us will probably never meet a sitting president. If you do, that would be great. Uh, but probably not. Probably what is more true 
is that one of his demons have been attacking you, have been oppressing you. And one of the great ways demons like to oppress you is when you go sailing out on the ocean and you just need a little wind to give you direction. Satan loves just blowing a little wind into your sail and giving you a little direction to setting you off course just a little bit. And so the two biggest objectives of demons, all right, here's what you need to be concerned about. Not, not the imagery that you see in culture. Here's what you need to be considered about. Uh, the biggest objective is that we would embody what defines them, which is their pride. This is their pride, right? Satan, when he was in heaven, thought he would go his own way, ended up in hell. Adam and Eve thought they would go their own way. They were sent away. We thought we would go our own way, which separated us from the Father and needed a, a Savior. Secondly, that we would not become a Christian and live a life following Christ. Satan, I don't think, cares that you're here. I don't think he cares that you give. I don't think he cares that you are in a life group or thinking about getting in a life group. I don't think he cares that you go on a mission trip. But what he does care is that you start taking Jesus seriously in the moment where you decide, nope, Jesus is God. He means what he says. Uh, I believe that I'm a sinner. I'm repenting of my sin. I want to express that publicly in baptism. Now you've got a war. <laughs> like, why would Satan and demons waste their time with people that are already on his side, whether they realize it or not? Right? It's one of the ways to, that he uses to attack the church. So how do they organize? Well, in short, in Ephesians 6, they, they organize in terms of rank. Ephesians 6.12 kind of lays this all out. Uh, our war is against rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world. Basically, there's layers to this organization, right? It's not a junior high party. It's not a free-for-all. There's intentionality to destroy our lives, much like there's intentionality that God from Genesis to Revelation was sending his son to save us. And so let me close out by asking this question or making this statement. How do demons attack us? Well, number one, they attack our minds. And their main weapon uh, is uh, deception. And we fight against this attack with the Bible. Now, if you read Ephesians 6, you'll find out that the Bible is the sword of truth. Now, I'm okay with us being in life groups and saying, I feel this way about the text. It, it's proper to feel about the text, for sure. I mean, the book of Psalms. But it's also proper to know how to think well. You know, does that make sense? And, and Scripture says this book, the Bible, which is not about us, it's about Jesus. It's not about your morality. It's about Jesus, but it's written for us. It was written for our benefit. And Paul is saying this is your weapon against deceit, against lies that Satan's going to throw you. And so what that looks like is if you're just here on Sunday because— your family makes you come, or wh whatever reason, or you're not, or even if you're, you, like, even if you want to be here, and you're kind of wrestling the fence of this whole Jesus thing, if you are not reading the Bible, this would be like you at war in Vietnam with your enemy, gunpoint at you, and you do this with your gun. You drop it. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? Pick up your weapon. If you're not reading God's word, you're like what Paul says. You're a boat shifting back and forth. You're, you're going to be immature. You're going to be underdeveloped. You're never going to grow in your faith. And it's not important that we read the Bible just to necessarily feel good about ourselves. It's also important that we read the Bible to know how to think well, which I think, unfortunately, is a crisis in the American church. Jesus created our mind, and he teaches us in the Gospels how to think well. Secondly, 
Jesus uh, or Satan attacks our will. In Romans 7, 19, Paul says, for I do not do what I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. What? Basically, he's like, what I don't want to do, I do it. I give in. And what I want to do, I don't ever get around to doing it. And Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so you're in good company because we're all, we can identify with that. And we fight against this attack against our will with the Holy Spirit. This is why it's important that you're a Christian. Like, not, 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 not like I go to a church. No, I'm actually following Jesus. Because if you're like not actually following, I say this in love, not in common. If you're not following Jesus, you will not have the will, which is to say you will not have the desire to want to love Jesus. Like, why? Why would you? If you don't believe that he did what he did for you, why is there any desire to fall in love with him? Well, we need the Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. Thirdly, he attacks our bodies. In Mark 9, uh, we read about another man, which we won't talk about, who was demon-possessed, but he suffered physical setbacks in his body. He was mute, he convulsed, he harmed himself, he cut himself, and he was deaf. In Luke, in Luke 8, 26, in Mark 8, 22, there's even stories about physical uh, suicidal mania. The armor of God is our defense against bodily attacks. And it's something I think our church, RCC and the church at large, really needs to consider. <laughs> Often our bodies tell us more about our spiritual reality than we do, right? We talk about, I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, I'm overworked, my kids are driving me crazy. Yeah, I get that, but those are all spiritual realities of us not resting in the gospel, not reading the scripture, not praying, not taking deep enough breaths, not relaxing. And so let's, let's ask the, the final question. How does God triumph over the enemy, Satan and demons? Well, he does it through the person and the work of Jesus. Probably not a surprise to a lot of people here. But that is to say that Jesus is the victory of God. Not your morality, not a I went to church my whole life attendance record, but it's Jesus on your behalf, dying the death that you should have died, being raised again on the third day. We, we, we get a hint of this in Genesis 3.15 where Moses, the writer of Genesis, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Enmity means there's going to be tension now, Adam. You're gonna, now you're going to need to go to couples counseling. Now you're going to have to work on your marriage. And not only that, Adam, it's between you and your offspring. Now there's tension between you and your kids. Your boy may not want to grow up and be just like his father. He will crush your head. Talking about Jesus, he will you will strike his heel. And we see this come to fruition as I close in Colossians 2.13. Oh man, this is going to blow your mind. When you were dead in your sin, Jesus never says you're a Christian, you're a non-Christian. He says you're either dead or alive, which I think is more of what it means to be human. When you were dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness. All the things that the DEA, the devil or whatever the name was, put against you, all the charges against you, uh, Paul is saying Jesus nailed that to the cross as a visual reminder that your debt is not held against you, which stood against us and condemned us. Jesus has now taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now, this is, this is the part that should give you a standing ovation. Uh, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, 
He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's what that means. In the first century, when you went to war and you defeated a nation, that nation, uh, the defeated nation would be enslaved to you. And the commanding officer would bring those enslaved soldiers to you. They would rape and pillage that city, bring them to your city. And see, see, see one, once they were free, they were tearing, ter- terrorizing us. And so we declared war on them. And, and we defeated them in war, and so now they, are, now they were once free, but now they're slaves to us. And what Paul says on the cross is what Jesus did for us. You see, that Satan and demons are real, Paul is saying, and, and they were once able to roam free and make your life a living hell. But I went to the cross, I rose three days later, and I made a public spectacle of them. I put handcuffs on them, I paraded them in front of RCC and say, look at your enemy. I have conquered sin, I have conquered death, and I've made myself available to you. And as Jesus often asks, do you believe this? So I'm going to pray. There's some next step cards in front of you. Do not leave this building. (laughs) Except to get ribs, just after this. Do not leave this building until you filled out this card. If you have not publicly or privately decided that Jesus is God, and all other religions aren't because there can only be one God, that's kind of the definition of truth. But if Jesus is God and you believe that he went to the cross, you can come to the, you can come to the terms of ultimate reali- reality that you're not a bad person, let's, let's use biblical language, but you are a sinner that needs to be saved. And you've never expressed that publicly in baptism. Would, would you just take a moment as we sing this next song in communion to fill this out and drop it off at the connection point on your way out? We want to celebrate. We want to tell you, see? See your accuser? He's now a slave to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, an opportunity to talk about a difficult subject. Uh, we live in a world that values um, education and proof, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for education, but I pray for my, my brothers and sisters in here, uh, my friends and, and folks that are new, maybe visiting for the first time, and they're like, what did I step into? I think we stepped into ultimate reality. And I thank you, Jesus, that on the cross you conquered not only sin and death, but you became the victory of God by demolishing and crushing our enemy on our behalf, yet again doing something that we could not do for ourselves. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.